If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. We're in Matthew 21 as we continue our summer sermon series on parables. How Jesus told stories to shape our minds. We've learned this summer that parables are stories uh, that teach the view Jesus has of God and of the world around us and of the kingdom of God breaking into this world around us. And we've seen Jesus with these stories deal with questions and answer questions such as how to know God or how I can find God even when God seems to be hidden. Well, today, with this parable, Jesus deals with the question, how can I know God? Or how can I move closer to God? Or how can I have a relationship with God? Let me give you the context before I read this parable for us. Jesus is in the temple. He's in the temple courts. He's gathered there in Jerusalem. And he's teaching a group of people who want to know God. They want to know how they can move closer to God. They want to know about having a relationship with God. They're seekers. They have questions. They are wondering things, and they are listening to the teaching of Jesus. And as Jesus was in the midst of this teaching, he is interrupted by a group of religious people, the folks who are sort of in charge there at the temple. And these folks think that they already know God. And these religious people are questioning Jesus and his credentials to be a teacher and his authority to say the things that he says. And Jesus, in verse 28, asks a question and tells a parable. Let's read it together. Matthew 21, beginning verse 28. I'll pray for us and then we'll dig in. Jesus asked them, what do you think? A man had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We are gathered here now around it. And I pray that you would send your spirit, and by the spirit using the word, you would work in our hearts as people who are seeking with questions, as people who long to you, as religious folks who think they already know you, gather around your word, I pray that you would remind us how we could know you, that you would teach some of us for the first time how we can move closer to you or how we actually have a relationship with you. Please come now and do that. And we ask that you'd be willing to do it even through the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher. For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 
In this parable, Jesus teaches us some things about God, about how to know God and how to move closer to God and how to have a relationship with God. And I want us to see quickly that there are five things I want to look at. I know sermons are only supposed to have three points. There are five things I want to look at. We're going to look at the first four very quickly, okay? But let's listen, let's learn, let's discern some things that Jesus teaches about God. The first four we'll move through quickly. Number one, Jesus teaches here that there is a God, right? That you see that in verse 31. He talks about the kingdom of God, that there is a God, and that he has a kingdom which is breaking into this world. So just note that Jesus teaches, Jesus thinks there is a God. Jesus is is not an atheist. He believes there is a God. Jesus is not agnostic. He's not saying, hey, there's not enough evidence in the world to know if there's a God or not. Jesus teaches that there is a God. So that's the first thing Jesus is teaching here. There is a God. Number two, Jesus teaches this God is personal. Note that as he describes the Father, that God is not an impersonal force in the world. He is personal. And you see that in his interaction with us. This is a God who speaks. This is a God who has expectations that when he speaks, things are going to happen in the world, that it's going to make a difference in the lives of the people that he speaks to, that there's going to be a response. God has work for his kids to do. So there is a God, number one. And number two, this God is personal. Number three, this God that Jesus talks about is relational. Notice Jesus presents him here in the parable as a father. And you may think, well, that's just, that's just the character he chose in the story. And there are true in other parables. Jesus paints the father in a different light. I think in Luke 15, he presents the father as a woman who has lost a coin, who searches for that coin and says, God is like that woman who searches for lost people and rejoices when they're found. So Jesus does depict God as other things in his parables. But man, almost every time, Jesus refers to God, he refers to him as his father. Almost every time that he talks about him, he talks about him as his father. So Jesus seems to think this God is relational. And not just, it's not just that Jesus can call God father, but he teaches us, his followers, to call God Father as well. Think about it. Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus is saying of his followers, you are salt in the world, you are light. You are the light of the world, he teaches them. And then what does he say? He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise who? Your Father who's in heaven. He says it again in Matthew chapter 6 as he's talking to his disciples. And he says, don't be anxious about what you will eat or what you will wear. The pagans chase after these things. And who? Your your heavenly father knows that you need them. So seek first the kingdom and these things will be added to you as well. But he, he refers to God as not only his father, but our father. He says he's your father. In the Lord's Prayer that we prayed this morning, that we find in Matthew chapter 6, and again in Luke chapter 11, when the disciples come and say, hey, Lord, teach us to pray. He says, okay, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So Jesus teaches us that we can call God Father. 
Now, some struggle with this idea of God as Father, and I understand that. Certainly, if we go to a person and tell them God is like a Father, then certainly our view of God is going to be somewhat influenced by what our fathers are like. I think that's inevitable. That's going to happen. Perhaps that's why the evil one attacks fathers in households so much, right? To skew our view of what God is like. But I want you to know, as we've already talked about this morning, God is a good, good father. I don't know what your father was like, but our heavenly father is perfect. And even those of us who have fathers who were not all that they should have been, we get this sense that that it should have been different, that we should have expected more, that we should have been able to count on more from our fathers in their protection of us and their provision for us. And so even those of us who don't have a good relationship with our Father know that Father means something more than what we experienced. And I hope you would at least agree with me that when Jesus uses the word Father, surely we can agree that Jesus is referring to God in relational terms. So if there is a God who is personal and who is relational, then that means we can have a personal relationship with him. Right? Number four. Not only is there is a God and he's personal, he's relational. Number four, God has a will. God has a will. There are certain things he likes and that he dislikes. There are things he desires and that he doesn't desire. Right? We see this in kids. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. But how our kids begin to say things, we go, oh, you have ideas, you have thoughts that are different than mine, right? That, that we see in our kids or our nieces or our nephews or if you're around kids that they have a will and they develop this will and they begin to express it more and more. And it's a way that they are different than their parents or different than other people. It's what makes them an individual being, Right? but they have their own desires. We say, hey, they're developing their will, and sometimes we say children are strong-willed, and sometimes we say, oh, they're more easygoing. They're willing to give up what they want for what someone else wants more easily. But we see a will in people, and Jesus here is teaching us that God has a will, that there are things that he likes, there are things that he dislikes, that God has plans that God has purposes, that God likes this, but he does not like that, that God chooses things. In the parable, God desires for his sons to go and work in the field, right? He has something that he wants. God has a will. If we see that in our children from a young age, certainly the God over all things who created us and in whose image we were made would have a will right? So let's just stop with those first four. There is a God. This God's personal. This God's relational. And this God has a will. Let me just ask you to think about that. Do you believe those four things about God? Do you believe that? I mean, for thousands of years, as Christians, we have professed or articulated what we believe When we say, Christian, what do you believe? We say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. These are the basics, right? 
These are sort of the ABCs. This is foundational for having a relationship with God or being a follower of God. It's knowing and believing these things about God. So what if I don't believe these? What if you're here today and you're saying, you know, I don't accept those four things you've listed, that Jesus is, I see where Jesus is teaching them in the text. I don't believe those things. I don't think those things are true. What if you're here today and you don't believe those four things? Well, I'd say first, realize that you and Jesus have a different idea about who God is, right? You need to realize that you and Jesus differ in your beliefs on God. Now, let me be clear. That does not mean that you're not welcome in this church or that Jesus would not welcome you. Every day, thousands of people are walking with Jesus who are seeking, who are wondering, who are questioning, right? That's what these folks are doing in the temple courts. They say, let's listen to what this man has to say. Because they're wondering if these things are true. If you don't believe these things... Jesus invites you to bring your differences about what you believe about God to him. Keep walking with it. Keep interacting with him. He even asks here at the beginning, what do you think? He wants to interact with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to reason with you about these things. So keep walking with Jesus. What if you're here and you do believe those four things? In a, in a church group like this, I'd say most people probably believe, yes, that there is a God, that God's personal, that he's relational, that we can have a personal relationship with him, and that God has a will. Most of us would say, yes, I think those things are true. So if that's where you are, let's think about that for a moment. Think with me. Realize that Jesus thought about the will of the Father a whole lot. It's something that was very important to him. And we know this because Jesus talked about the will of God a lot. In fact, if you listen to Jesus, God's will is central to the way Jesus lived life in this world. Think about it. John 4, verse 34, what does he say? My food, think about that, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't go too long without food, right? Jesus doesn't go too long without thinking about, without doing the will of the one who sent him. That's what sustains him like food. That's what drove him. John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus said, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of the one who sent me. That's the reason he came. He left the perfection of heaven to do the will of God. We talked in our prayers of confession today about how God does require perfection. He is holy, holy, holy. And we fall short of that and we confess that. And the only hope we have of coming before this God is that Jesus did come and perfectly live out, fulfill the law of God in our place, living the life that we should have lived. And then he's willing to die the death we should have died for not living according to God's will so that we can have a relationship with God, so that we can spend an eternity with him. Well, what about when your will is different from God's will? 
Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember what he prayed as he was going to that cross? He said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. It's Jesus' view. And he told us to have that view as well. Did you catch the prayer that we prayed? Right? Jesus taught his followers to pray, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is very important to Jesus. Let me ask you, is it important to you? When we think of God's will, we typically think of what college am I going to attend? What's my major going to be? Which job should I take? Should I get married? If so, who should I marry? We typically think of big life decisions like that. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here when he's talking about the will of God. Certainly God has a will for those things. Psalm 139 tells us, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God has a plan for those things. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What Jesus is talking about here is your disposition toward God's will. What is your attitude toward God's will? Jesus, it was central to his mission. It was central to life for him. It was like food for him. And for him, God's will was above his will. And he taught us to live that way. What do you think about God's will? What's your attitude toward God's will? That brings us to this fifth point, right? The fifth and final point of this sermon. We've said that there is a God who is personal and relational and he has a will. Here's the fifth thing. If you want to know God, if you want to know how to move, how you can move closer to him, if you want to have a relationship with him, then you must have a category for repentance. Repentance. And what I mean by that is you must be willing to change your mind when it comes to God's will. We must conform our will to God's will. That like Jesus, we would be willing to say, Lord, I want this thing, yet not my will, but your will be done. That's the way we move closer to God. It's the way we have a personal relationship with him. Notice here the story, there are two groups of people. Do you see them? In verse 29, there's this group that says to the Father, I will not do what you say. Some of us are like that. We hear the commands of God and we say, no, I am not going to do what you say. But then notice, this son changes his mind and then goes and does what the father asked him to do. That's repentance. That we at first reject God's will, then there's a change of mind, the Greek metanoia, there's a change of mind that results in a change in behavior. At first he says no, and then... He changes his mind and he goes. <laughs> but some of us, church folks, religious folks, notice that there's a second son. And what does he say? He says, yes, I will go. 
yes, I believe that there is a God who is personal and relational and has a will. Yes, I will go. (laughs) Then he doesn't go. He says the right things, maybe even believes the right things, but, but he doesn't do the will of the Father. He doesn't do what he says he will do. God's will does not take precedent in his life. The point of the parable is Jesus is putting us in that place to consider where we are. This folk, these group, this group that's opposing him, he's inviting them to think about where they are. The people who are listening to this conversation, he's inviting them to evaluate where they are. And he asked, which one did the will of the Father? <laughs> if I'm tracking with the parable, God has a vineyard. That would be the world, right? And if you're a follower of God, if you're a child of God, if you're one of his children, God has work for you to do. And God's will for you is to work in that vineyard, to work in the world that is his. How are you doing with that? When you hear how God has worked for you, if you think, no, I don't want to do that work, Notice, God leaves room for you to repent. He gives time for you to change your mind and eventually go and do what he calls you to do. How gracious God is. Talks about our fathers. I don't know what your father was like, but God, our father, is patient long-suffering. And many times we immediately say no, but then we change our minds and go and do what he asks us to do. He's gracious in allowing that. But if we say, yes, I will, yes, I believe these things, but then we don't do what he says, like these religious folks, Those are the ones he's condemning in the parable. Look at verse 31. He says, which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the religious people said, the first. The one that first said no, but then changed their mind and went. And Jesus said to them, truly. That's our, uh, the the Greek there is amen. Amen. Jesus said, amen. It's okay to say amen in church, okay? Jesus is in the temple here. He says, amen. (laughs) That's right. True. Truly, yes, the first group is the one that did, and it says, truly I say to you, now listen, he's talking to the religious people, the religious elites in the temple, in the place where they think they run things and have authority, and he doesn't, he says to them, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you, You want to talk about speaking truth to power? May I commend Jesus to you. He speaks the truth. He says, yes, that's right, amen. But, he says, these other folks are coming in. John came in righteousness, like what you want, in purity, being set apart. He came in righteousness, preaching the Old Testament that you say that you preach, and you didn't believe him. 
these other folks did. And they changed their minds. In fact, he even says it. Do you see it right there? And even when you saw them believing, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. What's your reaction to God's will? Are you one of those folks that generally says no? But upon reflection, you change your mind and go. Or I suspect most of us are more religious folks who say, yes, I believe that, yes. But then we do not do the will of God. Jesus commends those who change their mind and go, who change their mind and conform their will to God's will. Jesus is calling us to change our minds and to move from abandoning God's will to embracing God's will. Do you have a category for changing your mind and doing what God calls you to do? That's repentance. That's how you move closer to God. That's how you have more of a real relationship with him. And in this parable, Jesus is calling us all to repentance. Religious folks, people who are questioning. And he's saying to know God, we must believe. Do you see that in the text? It's a change of mind that leads to belief, right? He says, John came and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And even after when you saw it, you still didn't change your minds and believe him. Jesus is calling us, yes, to believe that there is a God, that this God's personal, that this God's relational, so that we can have a relation with him, that he has a will. <laughs> but more than that, Jesus is saying that God can direct you because he's God. And that the correct response for us is to ultimately surrender our will to him. And that's true for those of us who initially say no, and it's true for those of us who say, yes, I believe, but then we don't do what he calls us to do. Jesus calls all of us to repentance. Listen, I know this is a hard word. For some, like the son who says no, we think we're right. We think we know how to live life in this world better than the God who made us or the ancient book that he's giving us that we see is outdated. Listen, I know this is hard. But consider this, think about this this week. One reason it is hard for us to repent is because we live in a culture that tells us anything we think is good and that anything we feel is good and that there's not a thing in the world wrong with you and that whatever is in you is your authentic self and it should be embraced by you and that other people should embrace it as well. That is not what Jesus is saying here. His message is very different in the culture we live in. I want you to hear the teaching of the Bible. The Bible would say this, Jesus would say this, you were created with great dignity, with great worth. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Again, Psalm 139, because you're made in the image of God, Genesis chapter 1. And there are many things that are beautiful and great about you. But when Jesus calls us to change our mind 
to become more in line with God's will, he is saying not everything you think, not everything you feel is good or wholesome or right. And we need to change our mind about some things. So anyone who tells you you're okay, you're all right, no matter what it is, is telling you something different than what Jesus says, something different than what we read in God's word. Because Jesus says we must confess that we have to change our mind. Now, how do we know which feelings are the right ones and which ones are the wrong ones? How do we know which thoughts are right and which thoughts are wrong? The word of God. Jesus says John came in righteousness, the last of the prophets the one who would speak the ethic that God has in the Old Testament. And that the people who believed and changed their minds, those are the ones that are going into the kingdom of God. Others of us have trouble with repentance because we live in such a consumeristic world where we can have a hamburger any way we want it. And sometimes that leads us to believe that we can have a God any way we want him. And we begin to say things like, well, the God I believe in doesn't call me to change. He accepts me just as I am. Listen to me. God the Father does accept you just as I am. But the real God of the universe never leaves you just as you are. If he's the real God, the one who made, you see him and come closer to him and you're never the same again. You're always changed. God loves broken and messed up people, we say here. But he loves us too much to leave us in our brokenness and our mess. He loves us too much to leave us in our wrong thinking, the things that are harmful to us and other people. Do you really believe that the entire world is broken and messed up, that everything else has been tainted by sin except you? <laughs> if the God you believe in does not call you to change in any way, let me suggest that you have a God of your own making, that you have fashioned in your own image, that believes the same things you believe and feels the same way you feel so that you never have to repent. The whole point Jesus makes here is that there is a God, that he's personal, that he's relational, that he has a will, and that he calls us to change our minds and our behavior to come into conformity with his will. His will must take priority over our will. But if he's a good and perfect father, his will is better than your will. Oh, that's good news. Jesus, by calling us to change, is not being mean. Jesus is calling us to be more what God created us to be. 
This parable shows that God is pursuing you, that he has a role for you to play, that he has gifts for you to receive, that he has work for you to to do, but to be used of God according to his will. Jesus says we must give all of ourselves to God and realize that not all we want and think is right and good. That we must be willing to change our minds and our behavior according to God's will for us. We must be willing to repent. Are you willing to change your mind when it comes to God's will? Are you willing to submit to him? (laughs) Some of us have said no. But listen, God is gracious. And he gives time for us to change our minds and to go and do what he calls us to do. Some of us have said, yes, I believe all these things. I'm one of the religious folks here at the temple. Yes, I believe there's a God that he's personally in relation, that he has a will. Yes, I believe, but then we don't do what he calls us to do. And he's so patient with religious people. Even here, he's calling them to think about that. What do you think, he says in verse 20? What are you thinking? And he's calling them to repentance, giving their time and his grace and his mercy. And he extends grace and mercy to religious folks like us as well. We also must be willing to change our mind and yield ourselves to him. May God enable us to do so. Let's pray and ask him to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. If this was all up to us, it would be for nothing. But we have hope because of your Holy Spirit convicting us of sin because of your enabling spirit living in us, growing the fruit in us that only you can grow. Our hope is that we die more and more to ourselves and we live more and more unto our Savior, that we might look more and more like Jesus. Please come and do that in us. Use every circumstance. Use every opportunity to grow us closer to you, more in your image, more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.